We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world, and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. If you have a child with autism or if you work with children with autism, this is an episode you cannot miss. We are going to talk about how children with autism uniquely and naturally develop language and how we can capitalize on that in helping them improve their expressive language development. So we're talking about gestalt language development and what we can learn about how children naturally develop language, how we can capitalize on that in our intervention to expedite their gains. You're going to leave this episode with three strategies to put into practice today to improve the outcomes when it comes to expressive speech and language development for children with autism. We're going to take a neurodivergent approach in which we capitalize on how these children naturally develop language. So first of all, let's talk a bit about gestalt language development. If you want to know how is it that children with autism develop language, pay attention to children with autism who are developing language in their first words and in their first sentences. I've done a lot of work in this area, and it's very, very painstaking process because what I do is I videotape our therapy sessions. And not only do I share these therapy sessions with parents to educate them on strategies we're using, but I also do language samples of these video sessions. And when I do these language samples, I have to watch the video really closely to understand what these children are saying. I also have to watch the video sessions very closely to look at the context and to connect the gestalt speech. So for instance, when the child is happy, they'll sing their favorite song that might seem to not have anything to do with the context. So for instance, I might be doing an activity that involves numbers that the child loves, and the child will sing the song Five Green and Speckled Frogs. Now there's no frogs around, but it has the number five. And, and they pulled out a number five, or they rolled the number five on a big inflatable dice, and out comes the five green and speckled frogs. That is known as a gestalt. That's where the child has this memorized chunk of language. And this memorized chunk of language is going to be expressed at another time. Now it's appropriate because the number is five. So out comes the song, five green and speckled 
frogs. What this is called is a gestalt. This chunk of language is going to come out in a different context connected to the number five. So when I do this language sample analysis, I'm able to see the gestalts because I have the rewind button. I'm able to pick up the context. I'm able to do the detective work and look at the clues. And why did five green and speckled frogs come out at this time? This is the connection. So that is what gestalt language is. It's these memorized chunks of language, and they could have been learned from an outside context, a video, or a song, and they're going to be repeated and expressed, maybe verbatim, in a different context. So this is how many children with autism develop speech. First, the speech is memorized, and then over time, it becomes more spontaneous, and it becomes more novel as their speech and language skills improve. We want to capitalize on how they learn language in this memorized form, and we want to say, what is it about that gestalt? Why is it that that gestalt is what they're able to say most clearly and with the greatest length and complexity, and that this is their first words? So in other words, we're going to say this is their strength. How can we capitalize on this strength? Those are the three strategies we're going to talk about today. So when I hear this gestalt, I'm going to give you another example of it because this is what happens when therapy, when children are through with an activity, they're bored with an activity, they want to be done with it. At the end of every single therapy session with every child I work with, I sing a song and we write the child's name on the back of our checklist. For instance, the child's name is Mary. So I'll say, there was a girl who worked so hard and Mary was her name. And then we spot the name and the child will be writing, scribbling maybe. And I'll say, M-A-R-R-Y, M-A-R-R-Y, M-A-R-Y, and Mary was her name. We spell out the song and we sing the song. And that's our way of ending every single session is we sing the song with their name. Now, if the child is like, I'm finished with this activity, I'm bored of it, out will come that song. That's their way of saying all done. So they'll say, for instance, because I talked about last week how they pick up the vowels. Like, I'm not hearing those consonants left. I'm picking up the vowels, which are longer. Not only are they longer, they're also easier to produce. This means all done. So that is a gestalt that they're throwing out in the middle of the activity to tell me, I'm really done with this activity. Let's be done with this. That is an example of a gestalt. When we go into these three strategies, the first thing reminds me of where I am today. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm on vacation. I'm coming to you from my hotel room. And I was at the Heinz Museum today, and they had a Mr. Rogers exhibit. Now, if you remember Mr. Rogers, he's an icon in our culture. He started every session with, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I can't sing, but the same song. And then he would take off his jacket and tie and he would put on his cardigan and he would take off his work shoes and he'd put on his tennis shoes. He did this exact same process every single session. He would sing the song, put on the cardigan, put on the tennis shoes. And what did that provide for the audience? It provided familiarity. 
and in providing familiarity and sameness that is security. So when there is that repetition of every single session, I end it with this song that's whatever the child's name is, they work so hard, and then we spell it out in that bingo form, the child then feels secure. The child then feels safe. Now, this is very important because many children with autism, it's estimated over 90% have sensory processing challenges and our senses keep us safe. When those sensory issues rise, it threatens your safeness. What happens is the amygdala brain is switched on, which is the fight, flight, freeze, reptilian brain. Your security is threatened. By having that sameness and routine, that same song that I end every single session with, it switches that light switch up to higher level thinking. And when we do that, the child is better able to learn language. The child is feeling safe. It's in a, it's in a higher level learning state. Our brain works like a light switch. You cannot be in higher level learning state at the same time you're in an amygdala state. It's either on reptilian brain or higher level thinking brain. So I know for myself, for instance, when I get anxious, what I like to do is I like to read research or I like to develop curriculum and do something that's highly creative. And when I'm in that state, I can't be anxious because of that light switch. That's my way of taking advantage of how the brain works in either reptilian brain or higher level thinking brain. I put myself in a higher level thinking state by engaging in high level activities. But what happens is when children have that sameness, like that Mr. Rogers song, like that that Mr. Rogers routine that started every single episode, or like my closing song that ends every single session, the light switch can go up. And when the light switch goes up, they're in an optimal state where they're ready to learn. So the first strategy and the first takeaway is to provide the children with familiar routine. A lot of our children, because of their sensory processing challenges, their safety is constantly in a state of threat. When we give them the sameness of routine, we and that familiarity that like Mr. Rogers does, what we provide to them then is we provide to them then that higher level thinking state. When that higher level thinking state is activated, language is going to be learned more easily. So that's the first takeaway is to give these children routine, which provides security and familiarity in which higher level learning can occur. Let's go to the second takeaway that we can get from Gestalt language development. And why is it that these children's first words and the words that they're able to speak most clearly and the words that they're able to speak with most complexity and length are Gestalt's? What is the secret sauce? The second reason why is because it's multisensory. So when they learned the five green and speckled frogs, they saw it on YouTube. They heard the music going along with it. They had the teacher moving and using the multimodal cues with it. They had their classmates moving with it. It was a multi-sensory learning experience. 
We want to think about that when modeling language with them. What works is multisensory. Why is it they sing the goodbye song, which I said was bingo, which Mary worked so hard and Mary was her name, M-A-R-Y, whoever the child's name is, I mean, clap it, A-R-Y, and the child says the letter. The reason they're doing that is because it's multisensory. So not only singing the song, they're also writing the letters or I'm writing the letters along with them. And there's also a physical modality component, which we clap about that A-R-I. Everything's going on. The second takeaway that we can learn from Gestalt language development is when you're teaching language or when you're modeling language or modeling speech, do it in a multi-sensory manner that engages music, that engages visual, that engages also print if possible, that engages movement. Let's look at the third takeaway in Gestalt language development, repetition. A lot of these songs and videos, if you ask the parent, I'm going to bet on the fact that they haven't seen it once, but they've seen it many, many, many times. They've rewinded it. They've played it again and again and again. Replay, 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 replay. So this third strategy, how do we provide that repetition of concepts in which we know that these children need to hear these words and phrases many more times than their neurotypical peers do in order for them to learn. This is where I really encourage you to move to starting to high-tech AAC devices. In the past, I would start with low-tech. I would start with something such as the picture exchange communication system and then move to an iPad higher-tech device. Now, from day one, I start with the broad-based high-tech device. Now, the reason for that is twofold. One, because the research indicates that you don't get less socialization and nonverbal social communication when you use an iPad instead of the picture exchange. That remains equivalent. Secondly, you don't get less verbalizations when you use the iPad or when you use the pictures. The only plus for going low-tech is price. And a lot of times now, the school districts and insurance companies are covering the price of these broad-based devices. It would be wonderful if Google makes a program for free on the iPad. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that, but we're at a place where I could see that happening. Nonetheless, If you're a little bit resourceful, you can get these devices for free. I like to start from day one, trialing, try out a program that's broad-based. Now let's talk about why. It's that repetition. So what I'm finding with my students now that I'm starting broad-based right from the get-go, I'm finding a couple of things from the broad-based. A, I'm finding they're capable of a larger array to start. Go ahead, show them the 84 symbols. Don't be a gatekeeper. And the parents will tell you at home, they can manipulate the 100 cable stations and find a cocoa melon. They're capable. Visual scanning, visual processing is a strength of theirs. And when you give them an iPad, they can find whatever they want in seconds. The parents get it. What I'm saying is that these children are capable of a large array of symbols, a large broad-based vocabulary. B, I'm finding that the speech that they are developing as their first words are the words that are on their core digital device. 
Why is that? When you give them the broad-based device, when they push that word, they hear the word, we're getting back to multisensory, they see the word in print, they see the symbol, and it's responded to. So we're not only doing multisensory, but you're also having repetition. So repetition, 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 repetition. What I'm seeing with my children with autism is that their first words happen to be the words that are on their broad-based device. I do not think this is by accident. I think it's by repetition. What these children like to do is they like to explore the device and they like to push the buttons and they like to hear the word come out again and again. Now, what I'm finding is when I'm using these broad-based devices, what's really neat about it is when I go and I move to a paperboard, for instance, that matches the keyboard device. So it's the same thing as they have on their iPad. It's just in a paper form. The children are tapping on those pictures. And when the words don't come out, the children are saying the words. Because that's their expectation is that when you push on this button, even though it's on a piece of paper, there is supposed to be a word that comes out. And because that word is not coming out, the children are saying it themselves. So the third takeaway is, is repetition, 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 repetition. And a way we can provide that for children who are mentally speaking is through a digital device. And I didn't believe this in the beginning. I thought, well, if they're looking at the device and they're pushing, I want blank. That's way worse than handing a sentence strip to a person and looking at the sentence strip and pointing to the words I want. But the research is showing that there's no benefit to the picture and papers, that you're still getting the same amount of socialization, that you're still getting the same amount of verbalizations. So why not instead give them the broad-based device that gives them the multi-sensory learning experience and that also gives them 5,500 words at their fingertips instead of five? That is the third takeaway, is give them the repetition through a broad-based device. In closing and working with children with autism for the last 20 years, what has been the greatest game changer for me is this, pay attention to the children with autism as they're developing speech. That's when they're going to tell you what are the barriers for them, what is hard for them. And they're also going to tell you, these are my strengths. Last week, I talked about some speech barriers that children with autism have so that you can interpret and respond and encourage speech in the face of these barriers. This week, I'm talking about their strengths. What I want you to do with these strengths is take these strengths and run with them. The three strengths we talked about that we learned from Gestalt language development is number one, provide familiarity, set up a routine experience that happens again and again and again. Secondly, make language and speech learning multi-sensory. That includes using mu- music, visual, print, movement, expression. Number three, provide repetition, 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 repetition. These children need to be exposed to speech and language many more times than their neurotypical peers in order for them to pick them up.
And that can be accomplished by using a broad-based communication device. In those moments when they're not interacting with others, when they're simply pushing the buttons and exploring, every time they push that button, they see the printed word, they hear the word, they see the symbol, it's responded to. And when those buttons are not working, when you show them a card that has the 84 symbols, the children are going to push on that card. And when that speech doesn't come out, they'll produce the speech themselves because it's supposed to be multisensory. That's what they're used to. That's what they want. Take all of this information. And of course, if you haven't gotten my book yet, you're going to love it. 32 lessons that create lifelong change in children with autism. This book is written by someone with ADD. That's me. And it's written for people that simply do not have time for fluff. I distilled all of the fluff out. It's 100% functional. Every lesson is a quick read. It'll take you less than two minutes to read. And it's going to leave you with five tips to put into practice today. So I want you to roll up your sleeves. You know what to do. Make the world a better place, one child at a time. You're always going to be first. 